Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the state health insurance exchanges. With me to discuss the topic is Professor Tim Yost. Tim, it's a privilege. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. Let's always uh, begin with some background. The centerpiece of the Affordable Care Act are the state health insurance exchanges. Starting this October 1st, each state will offer an insurance exchange, marketplaces for individuals to shop for health care insurance. These are oftentimes analogized to airline ticket websites like Expedia or Travelocity. Insurance coverage for those selecting an exchange plan will begin January 1st. Individuals with, up, with incomes up to 400% of the federal, federal poverty level, that's about $90,000 a year for a family of four, will receive subsidies. By 2016, it's anticipated 24 million Americans will enrolled or purchased insurance via the state exchanges. 17 states will run their own exchanges. The federal government will run 19 state exchanges, and the remainder will be co-operated. Most recently, or last Thursday, the federal government announced that 120 plans are intending to participate in the 19 federally run exchanges. The White House estimates that this means 90% of targeted enrollees in these 19 fairly run exchanges will have five or more different insurance company choices. So with that as a brief background, since there are so many details regarding the state exchanges, um, uh, we'll begin. Before we do so, I'll just note lastly, uh, Professor Yost's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. And I know particularly the hyperlink to the Health Affairs blog post that Professor Yost provides in which he's really written on almost every detail or aspect of how these exchanges will operate. So, Tim, let's start with the basics generally. How are the exchanges expected to operate? Well, let me, let me start with one clarification or actually perhaps a confusion, and that is within the last few months, the federal government has started referring to the exchanges as marketplaces for various reasons. Um, one of which is apparently the term exchange doesn't translate very well into other languages. But uh, if, you're, if people are looking at um, documents that are, are releases that are coming out of the federal government at this point, they're likely to see the word marketplace rather than the word exchange. So just to clarify that those are the same thing. Um, the uh, exchanges, as I still call them because I can't get used to marketplace, mm -hmm. Uh, are basically going to fulfill three functions. Uh, one of them is to provide um, a market for health insurance products for individuals and small groups. Of course, a market for health insurance products already exists, uh, but the hope and intention is that the exchange markets are going to be uh, much more efficient. They're going to promote competition. They're going to promote choice because people will be able to go to a website or a call center or, for that matter, to go see their insurance agent or perhaps be contacted by a navigator or a sister, uh, which we can talk more about. But they'll be able to see a range of choices, and importantly, these choices are going to be standardized. The benefits are going to be standardized so that all of them offer a, a comprehensive set of health care benefits, some may offer more, uh, but uh, everyone will get a comprehensive set of health care benefits. And secondly, they're going to be standardized as to cost sharing. 
Right now, if you go into the individual market, there's a tremendous range of deductibles, of coinsurance, uh, and it's often hard to figure out exactly what you're getting. Uh, but in the marketplace, the plans will be standardized. They will be standardized based on metal tiers, gold, silver, bronze, platinum, um, and those will correspond to certain levels of cost sharing. So if you buy a bronze plan, you're going to have a high deductible plan. If you buy a platinum plan, uh, you're going to have very comprehensive coverage with, uh, with relatively little uh, um, expenses that you're going to have to pay at the time you receive services. So the idea is that if, that if products are standardized, they will compete with each other based on price and based on quality, and, and consumers will have lots of information as to what's available, and so it's going to make it much easier for consumers to choose the plan they want, and it will make it uh, it will facilitate competition among the plans because they're going to be competing based on price and quality, not based on hiding the ball and trying to get the uh, the most healthy consumers, which is the way they compete now. Um, the second thing that the exchanges are going to do is to um, uh, give access to premium tax credits. And you've already mentioned this. Americans with incomes up to 400% of poverty level which is 46,000 for an individual, 94,000 for a family of four, will be able to obtain some help with premium tax credits. Uh, families with incomes below 200% of poverty will also get help with reducing their their cost sharing, their coinsurance deductibles, out-of-pocket limits, uh, etc. Uh, and also small businesses, uh, at least some small businesses, will have access to tax credits through the exchange. And then the third and final function that the exchanges play is going to be a regulatory role. Um, they are going to uh, supplement state insurance regulation, uh, in particularly focusing on quality issues, on, uh, on uh, focusing on getting more information for consumers out of the plans, and also making sure that the premiums the plans charge are reasonable. So they're going to have choice functions, uh, access to uh, health insurance uh, premium tax credit subsidies and a regulatory function to make sure that the plans that people purchase in the health insurance exchange are, are good, high-quality coverage plans. Okay, helpful. Thank you so much. Let's go into uh, some of the um, questions concerning expectations. Of course, the plans will only be, or the exchanges or marketplaces will only be as good as um, uh, how uh, frequently uh, people come to them to buy insurance. So let's talk about participation. There are estimates about um, the numbers, but there's particular concern about uh, young adults participating uh, in the exchanges. What would you say about that? What's your expectation about that? Well, um, I think that the biggest problem that the, or at least one of the biggest problems that the exchanges face at this point is outreach. Uh, the population that they're trying to reach, uh, uninsured um, middle and lower income adults, um, it, it, people have looked at the population, uh, a significant part of it is, is uh, composed of minorities, uh, people with limited English uh, speaking ability, uh, people with uh, limited literacy uh, and numeracy skills and people who just have never been in the insurance market, uh, have never been able to afford health insurance, uh, and, uh, and, and have never um, 
tried to purchase it in many instances, or when they have found that they couldn't afford it or it wasn't available to them because of pre-existing conditions. It's going to include a lot of young people. Um, there's a concern, a couple of concerns there. One is that young people um, uh, may assume that they don't really need health insurance, they're healthy, they don't spend that much on health care, uh, why should they buy health insurance? Second concern is that because health insurance in the individual and small group market is going to be age-rated, um, health insurance for young people is probably going to cost somewhat more than it does now. And uh, although someone who doesn't purchase health insurance will have to pay the individual mandate penalty, uh, initially those penalties are going to be pretty pretty weak the first year. Uh, for most people, it's going to be a $95 penalty for, for an individual. On the other side, um, the, although uh, health insurance premiums are probably going to go up somewhat for young males, um, there's, also, there's always been substantial gender disparity. Young women have cost uh, quite a bit more uh, than young men for health insurance. Uh, and so young women are probably going to be seeing more affordable health insurance and there's some evidence that young women are more concerned about having health care coverage than some young men are. Um, so uh, it's going to take a lot of outreach. It's going to take a lot of education. Um, it may be that people don't come into the market the first year. It may be that they come in more in the second or third year uh, when the penalties start going up and people become more aware of the options that are available. Um, one successful strategy that I believe that Massachusetts used was not to try to sell it to young men, but to try to well to try to sell it to young men, but also to try to sell it to their mothers. Um, and as a parent of uh, several young men myself, um, I'm very aware of their health insurance status because I know that if something goes terribly wrong, uh, I know who's probably going to be to some extent at least on the line for paying for the cost. So. Uh, what we really need is a very effective outreach campaign uh, that reaches young men, that reaches young women, that reaches their parents. And that, of course, brings us to one of the biggest problems uh, with the implementation of the legislation is that Congress has not been willing to to fund the massive outreach effort that's, that's needed. And some congressmen have been pushing very hard uh, at efforts to try to uh, do outreach in the public sector, or the private sector, excuse me. So um, we, we really do need an aggressive outreach campaign, and we need to find some way to fund it. Yeah, so the young adults, these are referred to, of course, as the young invincibles and in trying to capture them. Let me ask you about uh, this issue of our concern also about employers possibly uh, dropping coverage. There's been much debate or discussion about to what extent um, employers will see these exchanges as, in a sense, de facto more affordable for them. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion as to uh, what will happen with employers, whether they will drop coverage. Of course, the baseline is that employers have been dropping coverage for some time now. Um, and so if we find out next year that employers are continuing to drop coverage, it's not a new story. It's just a continuation of what has been going on. Uh, in Massachusetts, however, uh, which is kind of the model on which the Affordable Care Act was built, employer participation actually increased after the health exchanges went online. And there were studies out last week to that extent, yes. Yeah, and, and the most recent information that I've seen 
uh, says that that a survey that I've seen said that uh, in fact only about 2.5 percent of employers uh, say that they are somewhat or very unlikely to uh, to drop or very likely to drop coverage, and less than one percent said they definitely were going we're, we're going to drop. I mean, one thing that I think often gets ignored in this discussion is that there are tremendous incentives out there already for employers to offer coverage. Uh, many employers don't. They're not legally required to. Uh, but the tax subsidies that are currently offered to uh, employer-sponsored health insurance are tremendous. For it, it, If you get your health insurance through your work, uh, income tax isn't paid on it, Social Security tax, Medicare, usually state tax, in state income tax, and the subsidies get very close to 50%, much higher than then, uh, well, there aren't any subsidies available right now to the uninsured. There will be shortly, but the subsidies that have always been there for employment-related uh, health insurance through the federal tax system have always been huge. And, of course, the main reason employers uh, offer coverage, and, and uh, this came out again in this survey that came out last week, is because employees expect it. Uh, you can't attract highly skilled, competent, hardworking employees unless you offer health insurance. There will be a few insure, uh, employers, uh, particularly employers who uh, employ very low-wage employees, who may drop it simply because their employees can do better in the exchange than they can do through employment-related insurance. Uh, but I think most employers are going to, once they really look at this as they're starting to do, realize that there's no reason to drop health insurance, and there 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 may very well be reasons to to start offering insurance for people who aren't doing it now. Mm -hmm. Let me, while we're on employers, let me ask you about the current status of the shop exchanges because there is news about that. Mm -hmm. And these are the, the acronym Small Business Health Options Program, SHOP. Can you comment on that? Yeah, the SHOP exchange uh, is an idea that uh, is in the legislation. It was there actually in in some bills that were uh, introduced into Congress before the Affordable Care Act. And the idea is to try to create exchanges uh, where small employers can go to purchase coverage and uh, where, um, in particular, there can be employee choice. Um, individuals, of course, are going to have a tremendous range of choice of plans in, in most insurance markets. Large employers already offer uh, often employee choice where they will make several plans available to their employees. Uh, small businesses traditionally have not been able to do that. They just negotiate for a single contract. Um, so the shop exchange, the idea was that, uh, it, that a number of plans would be available. Uh, an employer could say, uh, I will pay for X plan or I will pay for uh, X percentage of plans that are available in a particular tier. Uh, and then the employee could go choose the plan that, that they wanted. Um, and that approach will be available uh, in some states in, in, through some state exchanges in January of 2014. Um, the federal exchange announced last week in a final rule that uh, it is not going to have employee choice up and running for, uh, for 2014. It will for 2015. Uh, but initially, it's just going to offer employers uh, a choice of a variety of plans, but the employer will pick the the plan for the first year. Um, there's still going to be some advantages. The small employer tax credit will be available through the exchange. 
Uh, employers will have more choice than they often have available now. Um, and there will be a lot more information for employers and employees about the nature of their coverage uh, than would currently be available. Uh, but unfortunately, um, in employer choice, employee choice will not be available uh, in the first year in the federal exchange. Um, and this again comes down to funding. Uh, Congress has, uh, has not been able to repeal this law, although the House has tried repeatedly. Uh, but what they're trying to do is to um, uh, to starve it of resources. Um, it, as it, the analogy that occurs to me is that the frontal attack has not succeeded, so they've laid siege to the program and they're trying to uh, starve it of the resources it needs to function. Mm -hmm. um, and that's been a particular problem with the shop exchange because the, the the IT that's needed for that is very complicated, and I think Congress that the agencies are right now in kind of a triage function where they're trying to decide what do we absolutely have to get done with the resources we have available, and employee choice in the shop exchange, unfortunately, has taken the back seat for the first year. Mm -hmm. Okay, I mentioned the uh, participation, at least in the 19 federally run uh, marketplaces. Um, what's your sense of uh, insurance plan uh, participation in pricing so far? And let me include also, too, just to make note of, there is a, and this was a substitute for the so-called public option, and this is uh, the multi-state option um, under the Office of Personal Management or the federal entity that provides insurance for federal employees. Yeah, I mean, the... Uh, the hope is that there will be lots of plans participating in the exchange markets. Um, HHS put out, as you said, a fact sheet last week that shows that, in fact, um, it, choice is going to be broader in some markets. Uh, right now, the individual health insurance market and the small group market in many states are highly concentrated. Uh, with one plan or a couple of plans controlling the majority of the market. Um, the, uh, the hope was that more plans would come in, and in fact more plans are coming in, uh, or at least so far have indicated that they intend to sell through the exchange. In the federal exchange and in the state exchanges that have so far released information, most of them uh, have uh, a variety of plans available as well. Um, the multi-state plan, the idea there is that the Office of Personnel Management, which runs the Federal Employees Health Benefits Program, would make at least two plans available in every state that would hopefully be new entrants and that would compete with the limited plans that are already there. Um, the final rules came out um, a couple of months ago on the multi-state plan. There's been very little in, uh, information about it for um, the last couple of months, which has made some commentators kind of nervous. Uh, but the uh, release from the White House last week did say that it, it's up and running and that they have uh, quite a number of, uh, well, that they have quite a number of, of plan offerings uh, available at the state level. Um, and so hopefully that will increase competition. The other, the other program intended to increase competition is the cooperative program. And there are 24 of those. Yeah. And there are 24 of those out there, although once again, Congress took the money away from the program before it could expand further. But hopefully those will provide uh, not only a, a, a new 
uh, uh, plan in many states, but a new kind of plan that's more consumer friendly and uh, and uh, hopefully will sort of model a new approach to health insurance. Okay, let me ask you one. This is a weedy question. Um, uh, I'll admit, but you're uh, expert on this, so I'd be remiss possibly. There is this issue of, uh, say, small employers self-insuring and buying these low stop loss issued plans. Can you explain what that's all about? Yeah, the uh, Affordable Care Act breaks down the insurance market into into really four categories, which are individual plans, small group plans, large group plans and self-insured plans. And uh, we do have a lot of self-insured plans in the United States, and basically they're plans uh, uh, operated by medium to large employers where uh, the employer itself pays for the health care costs. Now, these plans are often not immediately apparent to employees because they're usually administered by uh, an insurer. So you may submit your claim to Blue Cross or or Cigna or some other large insurer uh, and and have it paid and think you're insured with them but you're but you're not you're insured through your employer uh, historically uh, self-insured status has been relatively rare among small employers because um, because uh, small employers just can't take on the risk you have one huge claim for a heart transplant or something, you're out of business. Uh, but stop-loss coverage allows is a special kind of insurance that allows uh, self-insured employers to transfer their, their risk above a certain level to, um, to stop-loss insurers. Well, that's perfectly legitimate. The problem is, is that there's lots of protections in the statute that apply to the small group to try to stabilize the small group, to try to make insurance more affordable, um, and in particular, to try to risk pool within the small group market so that people who have uh, high-cost employees can get in just like people who have low-cost employees. Um, the fear is that small employers will buy stop-loss coverage with, with very low what are called attachment points, essentially deductibles, that look a lot like conventional insurance, but uh, by becoming nominally self-insured by purchasing this low deductible stop-loss coverage, they will essentially be able to drop out of the small group market, and that will, uh, it is thought, make the small group market start to look like a high-risk pool as uh, only employers who have costly employees stay in the in the small group market and the stop-loss insurers pick off the, the groups with healthy employees. Uh, under the current rules, if you're in the uh, self-insured market, and one of your employees gets sick, you can go right back into the exchange and, and get coverage. So uh, there's a concern that the availability of self-insured status for small groups is going to break up the small group market and is going to put us right back in the problem we tried to solve through the Affordable Care Act, which is this cherry-picking problem. Maybe by way of, of that problem, let me ask you, there's been discussion about perfecting legislation, so let me ask you to speculate. If there was ever, uh, what recommendations would you make to improve the ACA as it relates particularly to expanding coverage? Well, I think 
that would be one issue that could be addressed, just to raise the uh, the deductible limit for stop loss coverage, so that in fact plans that uh, purchase it would be self insured. I think one of the biggest mistakes that Congress made was to try to run this program through the Internal Revenue Service as a tax credit. Um, and the reasons for that get fairly complicated, but basically the way it's going to work is that people who uh, apply for premium tax credits will get a essentially a tax credit paid in advance to the insurer, but in April of the following year when they do their taxes, they're going to have to tell the IRS what their income actually was for the year as opposed to what was projected at the time they got their their advance premium tax credit. And some people are going to find out that uh, they were eligible for more money than they thought they would be, uh, but by then it'll be too late to use that money to purchase a health insurance plan. Uh, on the other hand, some people will find out uh, that they were eligible for uh, for uh, less than they actually got, and they're going to have to repay it, and they're not going to be very happy about that. So the House bill uh, uh, of the Affordable Care Act would have simply run this as a as a, 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 a program under which payments were made to health insurers. Of course, if you lied about your income, there would be, there would be uh, penalties, but if you simply guessed wrong as to what your income was going to be for the year, um, you would not suffer because of that. Uh, so I think that if if I could rewrite the legislation, I think the first thing I would do would be to to take this out of the IRS, transfer it to HHS, and just make it a a payment to the health insurance uh, health insurers for uh, assisting people who need help with their premiums. Yes, I, I appreciate that, but but correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, the taxing power provision saved the uh, constitutionality of the law, did it not? That's a different tax. That was the tax on the uh, that's that's part of the of the individual mandate, the requirement to purchase health insurance. Um, so no, that that tax could be left in place and should be left in place, perhaps even strengthened. Uh, but I'm talking about the tax credits that are used to pay for health insurance. Good point. Thank you for clarifying. We have time for one last question, and I have to ask. Uh, um, you recall uh, several weeks ago, the chair of the Senate Finance Committee, Senator Baucus, uh, expressed concern that he thought implementation might constitute, quote unquote, a train wreck. So, with that comment, and as a wrap up question, how well do you expect the exchanges will operate this coming first year of implementation? Well, I think it's very important to focus on what Senator Baucus, who was one of the, the, the leading um, senators in getting this bill adopted, really said and really meant what he was what he said to secretary sebelius was uh we need to have a much more aggressive outreach effort or we risk this becoming a train wreck if people aren't educated if the current level of misinformation and ignorance persists we've got some real problems coming up um and the problem there is the problem that i started talking about at the beginning of this interview which is that congress has not given the agencies, the money they need to successfully implement this program, to successfully publicize and do the outreach they're needed, that is needed. Now, uh, the private sector is stepping up to the plate uh, and is going to fulfill is going to fill some of the gap. Uh, but if there is a train wreck, I think the the the, uh, the burden of that has to be laid on uh, the House and on state governors. 
uh, who have steadfastly resisted the implementation of this program. Um, if if uh, the agencies had had adequate resources and had had the cooperation from the states that was anticipated, we would be in smooth sailing right now. Even though, I should say, this is a very complicated program. It's a program that was adopted to save our private health insurance system, to save our employment-based uh, uh, insurance system, but to cover 50 million uninsured people. And that is a very tall order. Uh, but I think the biggest problem that the agencies face now is Congress is not giving them the resources they need to do the job. Mm -hmm. Well, sadly, we're at our time boundary, but let me first say thank you, Tim, for your time and comments. And let me say further, I'd like to have you back uh, maybe uh, next year, and we'll see where we're at. Okay. Well, thank you again, Tim. The train wreck will be avoided. Thanks okay. a lot. Bye-bye.